It is good to, to see everybody here this morning and to be together uh, again. We know the holidays, as Asher said, are a time of a lot of people in and out and running around, and so it's good to, uh, on those weeks when you, when you forget what day it is and everything kind of runs together and you don't really know, uh, routines are all messed up, it's good to have kind of recentering times where we can come together for worship. Uh, this is the time when we dismiss for Children's Church, so they're headed out that way, and so if you've got a kid in that age range, uh, they're going to go out that way to Children's Church. We also have a uh, nursery over there and a, a cry room in the back if you need any of those options this morning. Uh, have you ever had a dream where someone you were really close to uh, did something in your dream that, that made you mad or, or upset in your dream, and then you just woke up mad at them? Um, and they don't know what they did, of course, because they didn't do anything, but you know. <laughs> and if, this is especially bad if you're not a morning person where you just kind of are carrying that and, and, and you feel like they should know because cause of what they did. Maybe it was a spouse or a kid or a sibling or parent, and, and they did something to hurt you or upset you or frustrate you in a dream, and you just wake up with that on your mind. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a, a dream where, where something very vivid happened to, to Banner and, and where he got hurt in my dream. And, and it, I just woke up in this funk because it just affected me and it was very vivid and I could see it. And it just put me in a funk for like the whole morning. And so dreams can, can have quite the effect on us. Or maybe you've had a, a recurring dream where which may have revealed something about you, some type of inner struggle or turmoil or, or conflict or, or something you, that you've been wrestling with. Uh, when I first started preaching, I would have this recurring dream where it, it would kind of take different forms, but basically it would come to the point in the worship service where it was time for the sermon, and it would just like dawn on me that I hadn't done anything, and I had like forgotten that week that I was supposed to preach or something, and I just had nothing to say, and so I'd have to fill time. So um, that's what we're doing this morning. It finally came true. No, not really. <laughs> um, but it was like this inner fear that I kind of had that like I would, I would arrive at a Sunday without anything to say, and then, and then what, would, what would I do? Uh, maybe you were like me as a kid, like the famous one as a kid, right, is showing up without any clothes on to school. Did anyone else have that one? I, I legitimately had that one as a kid. All right, a few of us. Very good. <laughs> so that one wasn't fun either. Uh, and so dreams can, can be more revelatory in, in ways that, that we may not even realize without some further examination of them. So we've been looking at Matthew 2 over the course of this Advent Season and, and our focus has mostly been on the Magi and on their search for a king, for this newborn king, and kind of everything that has surrounded that search. But woven throughout this, this narrative of this search that Matthew tells us are the actions of Joseph. And over the course of Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, he tells us about four dreams that Joseph has. And in each dream, Joseph is told something to do. He's given very specific instructions. And each time, Joseph responds immediately, doing exactly what he was told to do. And this happens, again, four times. And so it seems like Matthew is wanting us to pay attention to something here, that Matthew is wanting us to notice 
something about what is happening uh, to Joseph and Joseph's role in all of this. And so we're going to read our text uh, this morning, and I want us to notice what is happening to Joseph as we go through this. Uh, We're going to back up a little bit this morning. We've been in Matthew 2. We're going to back up a little bit uh, and start in Matthew 1 this morning. And so we're going to read some of Matthew 1, um, and then we'll skip over to the part in Matthew 2 where we kind of left off last week after the Magi have have come to visit Jesus and and have left. And so we're going to pick up Matthew 1, verse 18. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Okay, so like I said, we're going to focus on on Joseph mostly this morning, but I want to pause here real quick, and then we're going to come back and read the rest of this kind of uninterrupted. So this isn't what the sermon is about, but I want to mention it here before we get too far past Mary. And I've mentioned already in this series that Matthew doesn't really focus a whole lot on Mary, which is part of the reason we we went over and spent some time in Luke last week, because she obviously has a very big role in this story. And uh, so we spent some time talking about Mary and, and her role in all this last week. But whether it was intentional or not on Matthew's part, to me, I think the phrase, she was found to be pregnant, speaks volumes about Mary's faithfulness and trust in God. Because on one hand, it just kind of feels like an acknowledgement of something that is shockingly obvious. Um, and in pointing that out, it's, it's almost as if Matthew is, is wanting to really bring to light something that kind of saying, hey, this should be obvious, but I want, you, I want to make sure you get this, right? Uh, it's something that Matthew seems to do in, in a few places in his gospel. There's another place that I've referenced before when Matthew says this about Jesus. He says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, which makes sense, right? If you don't eat for 40 days, that's kind of the obvious thing. You're hungry. And so Matthew just kind of stating the obvious, just say, hey, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Throwing it out there. It's obvious, but I want to make sure you know it. <laughs> And so I think that, that Matthew is doing something similar here. He's, he's pointing out something that's obvious. And I think the obvious thing here is that pregnancy is not something that can be hidden very long or very well. Um, if you are pregnant, you are going to be found out to be pregnant. And I think in saying that, Matthew doesn't even have to really point out more than that to say, Mary's taking on quite a bit of risk here. Um, this is a scandalous story for Mary. She is, is putting herself in, in really quite a bit of danger here, even by going along with this. It's not like Mary can go along with this plan and, and keep it to herself. She can't even pass it along kind of as, as just kind of the normal course of action. You know, in Luke, we're told about Zechariah and Elizabeth, who, who God also tells that they're going to have a son, that son being John the Baptist. And there, it's, it's surprising and it's miraculous to an extent because Luke tells us that they are older and kind of, they're, they're past the point of expecting children. But neither of them are really taking a risk by signing up for that. There's nothing scandalous about Elizabeth's pregnancy. It's just unexpected. But Mary isn't even married yet. And from all outside thought and, and perspective, this is a young, probably teenage girl who's had an affair and is trying to cover it up, 
right? I mean, that would be the expectation. Uh, And yet she takes all this on. Everyone is going to know that this unmarried girl is pregnant because she will inevitably be found to be pregnant. Because when you're pregnant, that's what happens. For Mary, everything is at risk, but here she is living it out. Uh, Okay, so we press pause there. Now we're going to press play again, keep going with this narrative about Joseph and his dreams. So we continue on then. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You hear the risk and danger here for Mary again. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, dream number one, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now we're going to skip down to chapter 2 to verse 13. Again, this is after the Magi have visited Jesus, so this is kind of where we've left off in our, in our story so far in this series. Uh, when they, the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Dream number two. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, dream number three, and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in dream number four, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. So, four times Joseph has a dream, and and each time Joseph follows exactly what he's been told to do in the dream. And, And 
all four times that's true, but Matthew really hammers it home on those middle two dreams. On dreams two and three, he, he really hammers it home. He wants you to see that this is, this is word for word exactly what the angel has told Matthew to do. So in dream number two, the angel says, get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. And so Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night. In other words, he's escaping and left for Egypt. Uh, the word there, get up, that the angel uses is a word that is often used when, when, we, uh, when we hear in the New Testament about people who are raised from the dead. Uh, it's the same word that's used here for get up. It's this, it's this word that has this, this kind of connotation of, um, of bringing yourself together, arousing yourself, arousing your spirit, and, and coming to life. It's, it's this idea of waking up, of, of pulling together your, your faculties, as one de, uh, definition says, and, and bringing yourself up out of something, getting up and doing something. So this is, and remember, Joseph, this is a dream. So this is literally the angel coming to Joseph in a dream and saying, all right, wake up, we got to go. And so Joseph just gets up and goes. <laughs> uh, that's dream number two. Dream number three is very similar. Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. Joseph got up took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. These are like big things. This isn't like, I want you to eat at Chipotle today instead of roses. Like, these are, these are big deals. Like, I want you to move to another country. And Joseph's like, all right, here we go. Um, and so they, they just move around. Um, and I actually thought this week, I never thought this before, it's probably actually good for Mary that they end up in Nazareth, where maybe everybody doesn't know her story. Uh, so she ends up in, in, in Nazareth, they end up in Nazareth, Maybe people don't know all the messy baggage. They didn't know that, of course, that that's where they were going to end up. But maybe it works out better for them anyways. Uh, but Joseph hears and he acts. He doesn't say anything. He just does it. In fact, Joseph isn't directly quoted in Scripture at all. Joseph says no words in all of Scripture. If there was a movie made about the Gospels, taken directly from the Gospels, we wouldn't even know what Joseph's voice sounds like. Because he doesn't ever talk. He just does stuff. Uh, Joseph is not much of a talker, it would appear. But he listens really well. And I think uh, there's something for us to learn there from Joseph. So this is going to seem like a little bit of a shift in direction, but it's connected, uh, I promise. In the Old Testament, there are some 613 laws. And as we would say it, obedience to those laws was, was of the utmost importance in Jewish culture and, and thought. But interestingly enough, there is not a specific Hebrew word for obey or obedience. Uh, Hebrew is a somewhat limited language in terms of vocabulary, and so some words have to kind of uh, carry more weight than, than a lot of our words typically do. And so words can have kind of multiple meanings or connotations or, or, or ways of being used. And so there is no specific word that just means obey or obedience. But the word that comes closest to it is the word shema. And shema is a word that you may know uh, it's a word that we've talked about before. Uh, it's, it's a word that is uh, attached to the, what we call the, the first or the greatest command. Uh, it's part of a prayer. It's the name of a prayer that, that many Jewish people uh, and many Christians alike 
pray every day, still to this day. And literally, Shema means to hear or to listen to. But it, always, it also carries with it the connotation of obedience. In other words, it assumes that if you hear something, you are going to respond to that with faithful action. You are going to, to do whatever it is that you are being told to do, whatever it is that you hear. And so in Hebrew, the concept of hearing carried with it the concept of corresponding action. And so we see some differences here in, in the way that we kind of think about a lot of language, language and the way that, that the Hebrews thought about a lot of language. For, for the Hebrews, language was very action-oriented. For us, a lot of language is, is kind of uh, mentally focused. Like when we think about hearing or, or believing or faith or things like that, uh, a lot of times we think about kind of mental things. But that's not how Jewish people would have heard those things. For, for Jewish people, hearing and faith and, and belief were very much action-oriented. They were tied to what you did. They were tied to how you live and, and, and what it looked like in your behavior. And, and I think we, we recognize this in some of the ways that we talk. Uh, like, for instance, if there, there are times when I've told Isley to do something, um, and then she'll just kind of sit there, right? Uh, I tell her to get up or, you know, go do this, go get this, whatever, and she just kind of sits there still doing what she's doing. And, and so I will say, Isley, did you hear me? right? Because the, the implication is, if you heard me, you would at least have responded, <laughs> or you wouldn't just be sitting there like you didn't hear me. And so we kind of understand that, but we don't always necessarily think of that word in that way for us as adults. Uh, and so you can see this, this way that the Hebrew people talked about it and thought of hearing play out in some Old Testament texts, uh, which uh, the Old Testament, again, was originally written in Hebrew. And so we could go through several, several examples of this this morning, but I'm going to give you just one. This is Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 and 14. And in English, it reads like this. So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in, in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. And, and so it's this idea of, of obeying so that you will be blessed, so that you can kind of live this, this blessed life, at least as we would kind of word it and saying. But again, the Hebrew word there for that, that part that's highlighted at the beginning, the Hebrew word for faithfully obey is the word shema. The Hebrew there literally says, if you shema, the commands I am giving you. And so that's the idea. To truly hear to Shema means that you were responding in faith to whatever it is that you hear from God. It's being lived out in, in your actions and how you live. And, and this is what a lot of Deuteronomy is about. It's about hearing God. And even beyond that, it's kind of this explanation from God about these are the things I want you to do and this is why. Because if you do this, if you hear what I'm saying and if you do it, this is what it will lead to in your life. Uh, it's going to lead to good things. This, I've, I've, I've got a plan for you. I want things to go well for you. And so if you listen to me, if you hear me and, and do what I'm saying, uh, things will, you will be blessed and things will go well. But as of course we know, it doesn't always work out quite that way. And so we paused our story earlier. Now we're going to rewind. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis 
after Adam and Eve uh, messed up and they ate the forbidden fruit in the garden, we're told this in Genesis chapter 3. This is, uh, again, another verse that we've referenced before uh, because I think there's, there's just so much in the beginning of Genesis that we can learn from. Um, but listen to, to this context that, that I think will fit in with what we're talking about this morning. This is Genesis 3. I think I've got the wrong reference up there. It's actually Genesis 3, 8 through 10. You can go back to it, Kevin, but um, I just had the wrong verses up there. Genesis 3, 8 through 10. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. Or I shamad you. I don't think shamad is actually the past tense, but in English that's how we would say it. I shamad you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So the idea behind Shema is that you hear God and respond with faithful action. But way back at the very beginning, Adam and Eve, now separated from God by their sin, heard God and hid because they were afraid. And so what follows then throughout the rest of Scripture is this cascading uh, collection of stories in which people hear God and respond to him in all varieties of ways, right? Like you can think about, just think about all the different ways that people respond to hearing from God throughout the rest of Scripture, and it, it's all over the map. People respond to him with, with faith, with doubt, with questions, with, with action, with running away, and, and everything in between. And it all begins with Adam and Eve who heard God and were afraid. So they hid. They heard God and they were afraid. And so now we fast forward back to Joseph. And remember what the angel said to Joseph in the first dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now, you can take that to mean that, that Joseph shouldn't be afraid of the cultural ramifications that are going to come from taking a wife who has been found to be pregnant. There's risk here for Mary, and there's also risk here for Joseph. And, and I think that is probably still accurate. But perhaps the invitation here is also for Joseph to respond to hearing God with action instead of fear. To hear and do, not hear and be afraid. To hear God and respond in fear is the work of our sinful nature that is traced all the way back to the garden. Paul kind of writes about this in Romans when he says that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. A few verses later, he continues, For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through the one man, how much more so will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? 
There's this contrast that, that Paul draws between what Adam brings into the world in sin and what Jesus brings into the world through his redeeming grace. And just as death entered through sin, so too did fear enter the world through sin. Fear is the original fruit of sin, but the pathway away from it, from its grip uh, and control over our lives, is the redeeming grace of Jesus. Adam heard God and hid because of his fear, because of the impact that sin had had on his life. And so then to Joseph, God says, do not be afraid to do this. Don't let fear win. Don't let questions about what others will think win. Don't be afraid of what the journey ahead will entail. Don't worry about what's coming next. Don't have fear about not knowing what's around the corner. Don't let the stories you may tell yourself about how Mary may have become pregnant win over the story that I am telling you. Don't give in to fear. And so, instead of hiding or running away, Joseph responds with faithful action. And I think what we find then is, is Joseph fully embodying the true and rich and deep concept of Shema as he listens, as he hears, and as he responds and does. And so the question before us then is what comes of our hearing from God? Uh, when we hear from God, whether that's uh, through Scripture whether that's in our, our prayer lives and our meditation and our, our time spent with him uh, in, in, in listening and, and being in tune with his spirit, when we hear from God, what does it produce within us and what are we led to do? Uh, does it stay in our heads and produce kind of mental thoughts and ideas? Does it lead us to, to fear and to hide and to run away? Or like Joseph, does it lead us to faithful action? Action that we would think about in terms of, of obedience. Does it lead us to, to lead the type of life that God would have us to lead? Dallas Willard is uh, quoted, Dallas Willard was a Christian author and theologian. He was quoted as saying, We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. Uh, and so we have spent this whole month proclaiming that, that Christ has come and that Christ is coming again. Uh, and each Sunday we gather around the table proclaiming his death, as Paul tells us, until he comes again. And so there's this question that we have to wrestle with as Christians. Do I believe that to be true? And if I do, are the actions of my life reflective of that belief. Because if they're not, do I really believe it? Uh, and those are questions that sound easy to deal with, but when we allow ourselves to really wrestle with them, I think lead us to some deep places and call us to examine some things about our own lives and actions and behaviors and words and everything else. And that's what this time around the table is for in many ways, I think, to examine ourselves uh, as we remember that Christ did come, 
Christ was born in a manger. The, the Christmas story of Christ's coming is, is true and is real. The story of Christ giving up his life for us on the cross is true and it is real. And it is lived out in the church today as we live resurrected lives to his glory. And the idea that he is coming back is one that we cling to and that we hope for, not as something that we hope to be true, but as something that we know to be true. And because of that, we know that this hope will not disappoint us. And so this morning, we're going to stand and sing uh, as we turn our hearts and our minds and our thoughts towards communion. And as we continue to sing about Jesus, uh, about God and his love for us, uh, may we consider those things and what it means to truly hear from God uh, and to remember Jesus and what that looks like in our lives. So let's stand and sing, uh, and then we'll share in communion together this morning. Your grace, our 
I'm sorry, stand Stand. I'm out of practice. (laughs) We'll stand for our prayer of confession, and then we'll be seated. So I'll pray the parts um, in white, and then together we'll pray the parts in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 